Welcome to the Kintsugi Life podcast with me, Toby Hazelwood. Kintsugi Life is about learning, growing and strengthening from the times of adversity and challenge that we all go through. It's about valuing them as part of what makes us who we are. Right now, let's get into the content. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Kintsugi Life podcast with me, Toby Hazelwood. In this episode, I want to talk about the idea of impatience and how I think we're getting a little bit too fixated uh, on how we can get results quickly and upon how we can achieve what we want to achieve quickly or get over things quicker. I think we humans have reached an all-time impatience and it's hurting us really badly. There are certain things that will come to define our era when we look back in years to come. We've got a greater access to information where we have near real-time insight into what's going on around the world, both the factual data that's shared in real-time and the meticulously curated highlight reels that dominate social media. While this should be a positive, giving unfettered access to information and opportunities to enrich our lives and heighten our connection and belonging with others, instead, Depression and anxiety are common side effects with sleeplessness, distraction and a shortened attention span common too. Our society is more divided than ever, with the information being used, misconstrued and manipulated to deepen gulfs and escalate arguments. Information is distorted to suit political agendas and to confuse the population. Fake news is rife, a term used on a whim by anyone wanting to cast doubt over those with whom they disagree. We have a proliferation of connected technology. It's continued to advance a geometric rate to the extent that most of us in the so-called developed world have more computing power in our pockets than was used to put humans into space. With an internet connection and access to money, anyone can get anything they want delivered to their doorstep on a whim. Instead of this bringing a sense of satisfaction, opulence and possibility, instead, the gap between rich and poor is bigger than ever before. And growing rapidly. Our appetite for fast fashion and cutting-edge technology is destroying our ailing environment and ravaging the human rights of those working in sweatshop conditions to make it. Customers are unfulfilled and miserable as they learn they cannot just buy their way to happiness. Finally, we've got the global pandemic, a chance incident that enabled the transition between bats and humans of a world-crippling virus. While medical science is astounded in demonstrating humankind's ability to respond and to beat such incidents, the battle is far from won. The selfishness and misplaced priorities of humanity have kept COVID-19 on the agenda for far longer than it needed to be. We're just too precious about our civil liberties to wear a face mask to protect ourselves and others. We're too selfish to care about our elderly and our most vulnerable citizens and curtail our freedoms in the interests of those people. It seems far better to let it take its course and to allow only the fittest to survive. We seem to prize getting back to shopping malls, bars and restaurants more highly than beating this thing once and for all. Here in the UK, the government even offered subsidies last summer to encourage people to eat out to help out in pubs and restaurants, bringing them business back, rather than prolonging the lockdown and actually beating the virus to zero. All of these trends seem to point to the one basic trait that exists in us humans today, a preference for focusing on the short term, on immediate satisfaction and gratification in the now, 
at the expense of the long-term consequences. We want it all. We want it right now. We're not prepared to wait for anything, and the idea of delaying gratification is a nonsense to contemplate. No appetite for pain and no chance of gain. I originally had this thought on what is apparently known as Blue Monday, the third Monday of January. It's the day when many have lost their excitement and optimism for the new year. It follows the third Sunday in January too, which is known as Quitter's Day, the day when many New Year's resolutions have failed. After the champagne corks of New Year have been popped and the fireworks let off, many resolve to lose weight, cut back on their alcohol intake, quit smoking, be more attentive partners, or just more conscientious about managing their money. That such worthy goals are abandoned after just three weeks shows how little enthusiasm many of us can muster for a long-term commitment, no matter how much good it might do us to commit and to succeed. We're more prone to embracing crash diets, cleanses, diet pills and radical exercise programmes, rather than opting for modest lifestyle changes and moderate measures that we can sustain for the long term. We don't want to contemplate that weight loss and fitness gains might take time to achieve or sustain. We want results now. Get-rich-quick schemes, short-term faddish business models that promise maximum returns for minimum efforts are preferable to slowly building sustainable income. Day trading in stock is embraced by the masses who want immediate profit and double-digit growth, not gradual but reliable compounding interests, interest returning from investments of time and money. When positive results are slow to materialise or when boom and bust cycles quickly destroy all profits, we quit and move on to the next thing. We stake our hope for happiness on a new relationship, and when lust and romance have worn off and things settle down into the more mundane, with the inevitable ups and downs of life in a partnership, many find their devotion and commitment waning. They feel demoralised. They worry that they've settled too early in life and maybe feel trapped. They imagine their life will be better with someone else. This short-term approach leads to the breakups and likely contributes to the prevalence of divorce that we see in modern society. As a veteran of one divorce and one failed engagement, who's now happily married again, I may add, I'm all too familiar with such sentiments and experiences. We have little appetite for committing to much of anything if it won't pay off in the short term. Low time preference versus high time preference. Early in 2021, largely driven by fear of missing out, I started out as a small-scale investor in Bitcoin. In typical style, I went in at the deep end and made the investment without doing research first, but I've since tried to correct from my impetuousness by studying the topic from grassroots. Essential reading for anyone looking to do the same is the outstanding book, The Bitcoin Standard, by Saifedean Amus. In it, the author spends a great deal of time describing the facets of money and economics. I'm on to chapter 8 of the book, and Bitcoin has barely been mentioned so far. What's most interesting has been the description of how we, we as a society have come to default to a high-time preference, where we used to accept a low-time preference. In that book, the author describes time preference as the ratio at which individuals value the present compared to the future. The principle seems to be that the lower our time preference, the more we're willing to embrace the good things that take time, in an economic sense that savings and investments take time to deliver value and benefit us in our lives. 
When we save money, we're sacrificing purchasing power now so as to benefit our future selves. Conversely, high-time high time preference is typified by spending now for instant gratification. The author is particularly damning of this trait of humanity and blames the economist John Maynard Keynes and the many international governments who adopted and applied his economic principles to manage inflation and escape recessions. Keynesian economics encourages citizens that spending and borrowing are good and saving is bad, essentially by encouraging a high time preference and instant gratification as a means of stimulating the economy. As Amos puts it, the 20th century's binge on conspicuous consumption cannot be understood separately from the destruction of sound money and the outbreak of Keynesian high time preference thinking, which vilifies savings and deifies consumption as the key to economic prosperity. After discovering this concept and reflecting upon it both in terms of its economic consequences and more widely in life, it's plain to me that we 21st century humans are wholeheartedly committed to high time preference. We don't care about what the future holds and few of us consider our future selves in the decisions we take and how we act. If the payoff of something isn't within easy reach and attainable in the short term, we struggle to muster the enthusiasm for it. Art imitates reality. In the Bitcoin standard, Amuse describes the world of art in the last few centuries as a further example where we've become conditioned towards high time preference, believing that great things can come about without an investment of time. Some of the greatest works of art created by humankind are a testament to the adage that good things take time. The piece of art known as the monolith is the most striking of the pieces displayed in Frogner Park in Oslo, Norway. Conceived by 20th century sculptor Gustav Vigeland, the monolith is 46 feet high and features 121 humans in its design. It was carved from a single block of granite and took 14 years for three stonemasons to complete it. Michelangelo painted the fresco Creation of Adam which adorns the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. It was commissioned in 1508 by Pope Julius II and is probably one of the most widely known and greatly admired pieces of art in the modern world. That took four years to complete. Both examples demonstrate that time is necessary for the production of things that move, inspire and impress. Contrast that to something else of the modern age. In the 1940s, Jackson Pollock covered numerous large-scale canvases with spatters of paint, which were later revered as masterpieces. In the 1950s, Mark Rothko created numerous paintings that are, for the most part, a variety of block colour canvases. Many of these have sold for millions and millions of dollars. I'm not informed or opinionated enough to debate the relative merits of modern art versus classical art, but I think there's more to art than it being in the eye of the beholder. I don't subscribe to the idea that something is worthy of the label of art just because the artists themselves tell us, it's it, tell us it is, nor because academics in the field proclaim it to be. Like most parents, I've struggled to see much difference in the quality of an artistic merit of many acclaimed pieces of modern art and the messy swells of paint that my kids produced en masse in kindergarten. It seems that in relation to our views on art, as in our views towards money, we favour outcomes and output that can come about quickly and without investment of time or genuine skill. That fresco in the Sistine Chapel took four years and was only embarked upon after many years of study, practice and the creation of sufficient other works that earned Michelangelo the commission in the first place. 
in even the most charitable assessment of Mark Rothko's number one, Royal, Red and Blue, I doubt that it represents more than a few hours' work, and that should probably include the buying of the paint and washing his brushes afterwards. In the world of art, just as the world of money, those in positions of power and influence have persuaded the public that that which can be attained in the short term, with minimal effort, is of genuine value. We've lost sight of the fact that many good things take time, investment of effort and patience. Genuine value only comes about through sacrifice now in, in favour of returns that will come later. Value is a by-product of hard work and the passing of time. It's seductive to believe that greatness will come quickly and without an investment of effort. We want the payoff now. We think we deserve things to come easily and quickly to us, and we're led to believe that it will by those in power, the governments, authority figures and influencers. Learning to think long term again. In December last year, I thought seriously about quitting writing and podcasting. I know that such existential doubts plague many writers, and I'm not ashamed to admit this wasn't even the first time I'd had such thoughts. My creative malaise was born out of a misguided perception that I hadn't achieved the results I thought I was due. I took a month off, and now have the renewed vigour and energy for writing again. I'm far from convinced, though, that I won't experience such doubts again in future. I'd allowed fear and impatience to mix within me, in a dangerous and toxic blend. Even from my vantage point, with four years and over 300 stories written, I still found myself frustrated and demoralised by others sharing their tales of how they made thousands of dollars in their first month as a writer. Such stories are no doubt true and reflect the experiences of those who've hit upon a winning formula in their first month, but they're not representative of the experiences of most. The danger comes when, with our finely honed preference for results achieved quickly, we latch on to such edge cases as the norm, and then feel bad about ourselves not achieving the same. It's taken personal reflection and recalibration to reach clarity on what I realistically hope and expect to achieve going forwards. That process has been useful in getting back to writing for the right reasons, but also for revising my approach to other aspects of life too. I seem to have a more moderate and long-term outlook towards health and fitness now, towards relationships and my finances. I'm not going to hold myself to impossible personal standards and I'm trying to be more pragmatic about the illusions and false comfort that can come from buying into the rhetoric that's commonplace in the wider world. The idea that everything should come quickly and easily and in return for gung-ho, all-out efforts. It feels good to be realistic with myself. I'm acknowledging that I'm playing a long game. A final thought. There is, of course, a time and a place for urgency, for seizing opportunities and taking calculated risks for short-term gain. Sometimes we need to do what seems smart for the short-term and put the long-term future in the hands of fate. Right now, though, it feels as though we all tend to default to the short-term and allow ourselves to believe that if we get that right and it feels good, then it will likely set us on the right path. What I'm advocating for right now is that we make more decisions in favour of our future selves over ourselves here and now. That we make financial investments today that will provide for our futures rather than buying more plastic crap that gives us joy for five minutes. That we invest ourselves into building the skills and expertise that will ultimately create masterpieces worthy of the label, not just that we seek out hacks and shortcuts. 
that we take decisions for our health, our well-being and our relationships that bring sustainable and lasting joy and resilience, not just a temporary boost or lift. I hope you can see ways in which perhaps you could adopt a more long-term outlook and develop that time preference for things that just take a little bit longer to achieve but are worth it when you get them. In the meantime, this is Toby Hazelwood with Kintsugi Life saying goodbye. You've been listening to the Kintsugi Life podcast with me, Toby Hazelwood. You can email me on toby at tobyhazelwood.com. I'd love to hear your feedback. I'd love for you to leave me a positive review if you feel unworthy of one. And I'd also love for you to share this with anyone else who you think might benefit from the content. Until next time, this is Toby Hazelwood saying goodbye.